Hey, folks, I'm Tom. I'm KJ. You know the drill. We're back again to talk about the Dunlap Champions Club. You know, just because football season goes away after the fall every year, unfortunately, the Dunlap Champions Club does not, and we've told you this before, but it's a great event space that you should consider for your team, family, organization, whatever it is. Space, space, and more space. Anything from 10 to 15 people, or I'm told... As many as 800 can be accommodated. Uh, they, they've got space. They do. They've got uh, – if you've been in the Dunlap Champions Club, you know we're talking about the fourth floor and the sixth floor, really, of the University Center Club. But the fourth floor is 20,000 square feet, floor-to-ceiling windows, overlooks Bobby Bowden Field. They can set it, you know, whatever you want. Plated function, theater seating, cocktail reception. If you like uh, the terrace, the little outdoor and, – and actually – this time of year. Yeah. Yeah. I might not suggest it for late July, early but, August. But this time of year. This time of year, I think that's an option. Same thing up there. Cocktail reception. They'll set it however you want. Just consider it. It's uh, it, it really is a great space. I've, I've been to several functions there. I'd encourage you to do the same. 850-644-1830 for ticket information, or you can call and schedule a private tour. And now, without further ado, Front Row Knowles. Broadcasting live from the Prime Meridian Bank Studios in the capital city of Tallahassee, this is Front Row Knowles with Tom Block and Keith Jones. Front Row Knowles is brought to you by Cornerstone Tool and Fastener, online at ctf.nu. Now, here's Tom and Keith. Good day, everybody. Welcome to Front Row Knowles. Tom Block with you. It's the best kind of Front Row Knowles. No KJ. Well, for this segment only. I will uh, catch up. Keith and I had to uh, get creative with our schedule this week for Front Row Knowles, and that's mainly on me. Uh, without getting into too many details, I had some minor surgery on my ankle, and so it's my right foot. I haven't been able to move around without a scooter or crutches. I haven't been able to drive. On top of that, the producer and engineer of front row knolls matthew uh recently welcomed his first child to the world so congratulations there but uh, that made it a little tough to find some flexibility on when we recorded so all that said here's what we're going to do i'll talk for a few minutes here in this first segment uh, the reason we did it this way i wanted to offer my thoughts on the pit game last night keith and i did catch up earlier this week and we will go over several issues during the course of the show including the ncaa transfer policy which is obviously big news the ESPN FPI projections, which have FSU up as much as any program in the country. The continued conversation about NIL, which is name, image, likeness. Talk a little bit of FSU baseball. So all that is is straight ahead. But uh, I want to begin with hoops real quick. The pit game is much what Florida State needed. Got to rest some key guys. Trent Forrest got to get a break. And finally finished somebody off and had the game in hand for the last half of the second half certainly but a couple of observations here first of all Patrick Williams I'm stating the obvious we all knew that he was just scratching the surface of his talent for the first two months of the season well now he's no longer scratching the surface now he's leading the highlights for Florida State leading scorer for four of the last five games and the NBA projections are out and have him going 23rd in somebody's most recent mock draft along with Devin Vassell going 18th so at the start of the year I was optimistic that maybe Florida State would get one of those two guys back wasn't sure which one um I don't even know if I could say mildly optimistic at this time hopeful is probably a better word because I think they're going to lose both of them so we just got to enjoy the run right here if they're guaranteed first round picks they're going to go get a guaranteed contract Patrick Williams really really good basketball player and uh and and we still have just seen the tip of, of what he can he can be I also wanted to opine about MJ Walker last night because MJ is a guy who we knew is we've known for a couple of years is very talented but we've only seen it in bits and pieces if you recall the conversation coming into this year about MJ was you know could he take the next step and I don't know for most of this year I think we'd agree that he took a step forward certainly his numbers are better across the board but it wasn't as big a step as maybe we all wanted to see well, I'll say this for MJ. For him to have done what he did against Syracuse when he took 12 stitches, came back, and basically won that game. And then in last night's game, if you watched it, uh, A, he took another elbow to the chops after he ditched his mask because it was not comfortable to play with. And more than that, in a game in hand, late in the contest, when really you could concede a layup and not worry about it, he goes end-to-end and blocks a shot. Uh, all kinds of contact, just a tremendous play, which really speaks to the heart of, of MJ and this Florida State team. Uh, so new newfound respect for MJ Walker. I mean, it was tremendous to see what he did last night. But the Hoops team rolls over Pitt. 
Uh, Florida State now 12-3. and They get at NC State and then Louisville. So that's Saturday and Monday. This is the last of the short turnarounds for Florida State. Five games to go. Tough stretch to close things out still for FSU, no question. But uh, they continue to uh, excel in the ACC. They're now second in the ACC because they own the head-to-head over Louisville. So another big win for Leonard Hamilton and company. And, uh, you know, going back to the NBA conversation real quick, it's hard to just sit here and think about the fact that over the last two games, the television cameras are showing shots of Malik Beasley last night and Dwayne Bacon and Fee and Terrence Mann and all these guys that are in the NBA now. And we're having conversations about two guys on the team now who who likely will leave to go to the NBA as well. Just tip of the cap to Leonard Hamilton and his staff for the job they've done and a nice win by the Hoops team. Quickly on baseball, Florida State got a baseball win last night. I have not been out to see the baseball team play yet, so I'm going to save conversation on that. But pitching continues to be the story there in terms of just a lot of arms they can run out. Matthew Nelson had a key three-run home run last night to beat USF. So the story for baseball, and Meach said this going in, they're going to be able to pitch. They're going to need timely hitting to win some of these games. But there's going to be some that go like opening night where they don't get that timely hitting and they end up losing to what we'd all consider an inferior opponent. But uh, I'm going to get out there on Friday night and watch CJ pitch, and uh, we can have a baseball conversation in a future show. But again, I just wanted to mention this, and I'll I'll go to break here shortly. Uh, Keith joins me next segment. We recorded it earlier in the week, so if anything seems dated because this NCAA transfer policy moved forward really quickly, as did some of the NIL-related bills in the Florida legislature. There's been some movement there. If you listen to anything that sounds a little bit dated, well, that's because it is. And again, uh, I'm on the men. Should be uh, up and about here soon. And Keith and I will get back to a more normal show where we're both in the studio together. I do want to congratulate the women's tennis team, though, for going to number two in the nation, which is the highest rank in program history. And though we don't talk about it collectively all that much, when you get past the big sports, the big three, if you will, the big four counting women's basketball, Florida State really is enjoying a strong, strong spring, including the men's indoor track team, which is going to compete for a a national championship here in a couple weeks. All right, all that said, uh, I'm going to step aside. I do want to thank Madison Social and remind you that uh, as you're headed out to baseball this weekend, another home series, uh, go ahead and stop at Madso before or after the game. Maybe after the game Saturday, you can also catch the NC State uh, basketball game. Whatever your pleasure, they've been longtime supporters, and uh, really they have uh, created the cool factor for College Town and for Florida State. So we thank them for uh, continuing to support this program. Keith joins me right after this. We're just getting started here on Front Row Knowles. Front Row Knowles on 97.9 ESPN Radio is presented by Hobson Chevrolet of Cairo, Georgia. Get your best deal the Hobson way. Now, back to Tom and Keith. Welcome back to Front Row Knowles. I won't make you wait any longer. The one and only Keith Jones joins me now. KJ, good to see you. Good to be seen. Good to be seen. I won't uh, reveal the location. I'll simply say that we're in the uh, mobile version of the Prime Meridian Studios uh, at present. In a Hobson Chevrolet, so that's a double bang. Uh, you did that very well. And it wasn't even scripted. Way to go. <laughs> wasn't even scripted. Hey, the big news that uh, came out. So just to, to catch up here, folks, uh, we, we're going to have a good show for you, as we always do, as we continue here. But uh, I've been laid up. I had surgery on my foot, so I can't get from point A to point B very easily. Congratulations to our engineer and producer, Matthew, who is uh, now a proud daddy. And uh, so he's out of the uh, ESPN studios for a little bit. Point being, Keith and I had to meet at a random time to do this, so that's what we're doing. But uh, I thought it was interesting earlier this week, going back to Monday, that the ACC came out with a statement that after their weekend meetings, Unanimously, the ACC is in favor of allowing a one-time transfer for any student-athlete, any sport. So that would change the landscape dramatically from what it has been going back to your days and historically. Again, you'd have to go through the transfer portal. You've got to do all the things that are necessary to qualify there. But if you were given the opportunity, if someone else wanted to pick you up, you could change schools, sign with a new school, and you would not have to sit out the mandatory one year, and you would not have to apply for a waiver. It would be automatically granted. And, uh, you know, I, I tease 
in the thought process. I remember one time when I was a voter for the all-ACC team, and I voted for someone else in a particular spot. doesn't matter what it was. But I got a call from the people that tally the vote, and they said, uh, Mr. Jones, there, there were only two of you who didn't vote for said player and and the other one we called and he's he's willing to change his vote <laughs> would you be willing to change your vote so that it'd be unanimous and i said sure so the vote was unanimous i wonder if all 15 schools actually voted for that uh but nevertheless we won't worry about how the sausage got made the bottom line is that the acc has come out in favor of it and I, you know, you and I have talked about it. You and I have disagreed a little bit, and I'm I'm kind of warming up. I'm the curmudgeon that's coming around. Uh, I don't necessarily like it, but I understand it, and I'm kind of on board with it now. If everybody else is going to do it, the playing field is equal, then okay, let's go for it. Well, I think it it got to a point, and we saw this with Jordan Travis. It the the review process when you have to apply for a waiver seems so arbitrary and it's done behind closed doors and there's no rhyme or reason to why Keith Jones applied for a waiver on Tuesday and heard on Thursday that he got it and Tom Block applied a month before Keith but now three months later still doesn't know what his status is that just wasn't a system that was going to hold up. I agree. I agree. And and candidly, there were going to be more and more in the pike. I don't know how, how many. I haven't looked up the count. But, you know, the first year, let's say there was 100. The second year, there's 400. Now there's going to be 1,000. That process would have gotten very unwieldy also. So, um, uh, like I say, I, I don't necessarily like it for who I am and the curmudgeon that I am. But as long as everybody else is playing by the same rules, I can get on board with it. Well, the ACC made this statement because the Big Ten ADs have already come out and done this, so I would suggest that we'll probably get to all Power Five conferences trying to force the NCAA's hand on this. The downside is coaches will complain that now you've got to constantly be recruiting, but we've already seen in a couple of years of the early signing period, well, separate that even with the transfer portal, that they're having to recruit this anyway. I mean, you have to have staff that are devoted to looking at everybody whose name goes in the transfer portal as soon as they get there to try and jump on them. And at the same time, you, you've had to build up your staffs. I mean, it was just recently released what uh, FSU's recruitment budget was, and it was somewhere around plus or minus $1.5 million. So you're spending $1.5 million to bring in 20 to 25 new faces every year, whatever your proje projection is. Um, you know, So you've got staff that are doing a whole bunch of stuff anyway. Uh, this is just one more thing to add to it. Uh, and, and as I say, repeating myself, as long as everybody else is playing by the same rules, I can get on board. Yeah, and we'll see when, if and when this becomes legislation. But it was a strong statement by the ACC. Uh, again, we're in, in favor of it at this point. I'm trying to think of what the other... The other downside would be, I guess one would be, the, how do you distinguish now? So as a grad transfer, you've had that advantage to not have to sit out a year. So now if you're saying everybody gets that, do you do something different for grad transfers? Or I guess they can go without getting the release from their current school because they've graduated. They can do whatever they want. Whereas if somebody's leaving an institution, and again, the fine print would have to be worked out. But if you're leaving an institution and, and that one hasn't granted you your release, maybe then you don't get the year. I don't know how this works. I don't know that you have to have the release granted. Uh, that, 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 again, that's in the weeds. I would think that goes away. You know, my biggest thing always goes back to, uh, you know, if you get somebody that's disgruntled and they go into the transfer portal, and we've seen coaches say this, and nobody wants to pick them up or they change their mind, because you went into the transfer portal, your current school is now going to look at you differently. And so, you know, an 18 or a 19 or a 20-year-old that gets upset because, you know, he didn't get to play or got benched or someone else got promoted ahead of him, you know, makes a rash decision that uh, two weeks, three weeks, a month later he regrets. Well, guess what? You're making adult decisions now, so you got to be very careful about how you go about that. Here's the official statement from the league, and then we'll move on to on-the-field type stuff. Uh, during the league's annual winter meetings, February 12th to 14th, the ACC discussed the transfer environment and unanimously concluded that as a matter of principle, we support a one-time transfer opportunity for all student-athletes, regardless of sport. As a conference, we look forward to continuing the discussion nationally. So they achieved their mission because, you know, we go worldwide on this show, and we just continued the discussion for them. This, I said on-the-field. This is not really on-the-field, but this is more what you do as you're counting down until the season, and at this point, we're counting to spring practice but ESPN this week released its FPI and I quickly scanned through it they had the full list 
And I started with where FSU was last year, you know, more in the 40 to 60 range or whatever, and I didn't see them. And so I said, "Uh uh-oh. And I started scrolling the other way. I was like, where do they got them, the 70s, the 80s? And no, FSU's all the way up at 23, which is the biggest jump of of any school. So I'll ask you, is that a measure of what's still on the roster? Is that thought? And obviously, and and I don't have the the formula in front of me, uh, but but it just seems like – Norvell's there, Taggart's gone, you still have a cupboard that's, well, it's not what you want, there's still some snacks in there, I mean, there's still some good stuff. Uh, I'd go four words, Marvin, Wilson, Tamarian, Terry, <laughs> that's what that's all about, uh, those kids committing to come back for another year, uh, that they're well known, they're, they're, they're known nationally, uh, to me, that's the biggest thing that that means, obviously, Norvell plays a part, uh, I'm being a little bit facetious, but uh, uh, that well, is, I, a, that is a big jump and and the fbi doesn't take those things into consideration again i don't know the formula but um i just i was pleased to see it now we got it we got to see the product on the field as we continue to say but just for comparison's sake obviously clemson's at the top of that but north carolina's 18 and fsu's the third highest acc school so that that may say a lot about the acc or a little about the acc but just take it this is what you and i have been saying if fsu fixes itself then a lot of these problems go away, and then you get to phase two, which is, okay, now we got to recruit at the level to beat Clemson and Alabama and Ohio State. And talking about recruiting, uh, another thing that came out, and, and we've mentioned this, but I want to reiterate it, and you'll help me with the numbers because you're better at remembering, but remember that study where they went back and looked at the 2016 recruiting class from Memphis, and they were ranked in the 60s. And they fast forward to 2019, what those kids did four years later in terms of their production on the field, and they graded that Memphis class as number 12. And we came up with two words, not four words, but two words, player development. And that's something else that Florida State, in my opinion, has gotten away from that I know at least verbally, at least verbally and conceptually, uh, Norvell has gone out of his way to talk about the fact that they've got to develop these kids, take athletes and make them football players, take good football players and make them great football players. And so that is high on the radar for him as well. As I look deeper at this FBI, here's what it may have to do with, Keith. Uh, Four of the worst five ACC teams are in the Atlantic, including B.C., dead weight in the ACC at 78th, Syracuse 72nd, Wake Forest 69th, which seems low, but they lost their quarterback, and NC State at 59th. All of those obviously are on Florida State's schedule. Pitt is 43rd, Miami 37th, Louisville 35th. And so without Virginia Tech and North Carolina on the schedule, by FPI, Florida State's only playing one conference game against a team that's ranked higher, and that's Clemson. Well, let's don't forget Boise State now. I mean, you can't I let said conference. Out. i got to make sure you do the Broncos justice uh, in the blue field that Florida State will fashion. No, and again, all of this is conversation for February. and It's not conversation for the first week of the season. But it is interesting that at least the national narrative appears, appears to be changing relative to people's perception of Florida State. want to jump over and just mention uh, – the fine folks at the Osceola, and we weren't able to connect with uh, Bob Ferrante and our Osceola insiders uh, this week, and that's on me. Again, my lack of mobility is causing that issue right now until I get out of this uh, cast and can actually drive again. But uh, as always, they've got some great stuff on the Osceola. I encourage you to go to theosceola.com and give it a try. Subscribe, whether it's monthly or annually, good product. They've got a one-on-one with uh, Coach Sue Semrau that's uh, going to be part of their Tuck Talk podcast uh, and also linked as, uh, as part of their their online product. And Jerry Kutz, who always does such a great job, is is looking at the tour of duty. You know, that was opened by Coach Mike Norvell last week. And what Jerry's doing is getting the perspective of Mickey Andrews and Wally Burnham and the guys who were here when it was technically Matt Drills and, and asking them, how does this measure up? So I, it's always good perspective from Jerry because we look at things so in the moment. I mean, that's just the way we're wired today. So I look forward to that from Jerry. Another thing, go back. If you subscribe or are a subscriber, go back and make sure you check out Pat Burnham's analysis of the signing class by position. I think you'll find that very, very enlightening. He's done a great job in gaining some resources and some additional information about maybe a better way of judging these kids relative to the position they play and what they can do and add to Florida State roster uh it's pretty in depth it'll take you a little bit of time but it's well worth the effort they had uh, open 
tour of duty last week. I didn't get out there. I don't know that you did, but uh, there's been lots of reports about it. I mean, we all have contacts and have, have heard plenty about it. It just continues to feel like, and I know it's February, and we're going to do this until September because it's what happens. And by September, we'll think that Florida State can beat the, the Packers or the 85 Bears. But, it, again, it feels like everything's pointed the right direction. I, I agree. Uh, and when you listen to the kids talk, um, you know, they reinforce that. I will tell you this. There's two two things that are quirky about me, Tommy. Number one, you know the first one. I, I don't like going in the locker room. I'm not one of these guys that likes to hang out in the locker room. I don't even go in the locker room. Uh, you'll know in, in the post-game stuff, I always stay outside the door. I don't go in. That, to me, is reserved for the players that are playing now. It's kind of like the Holy of Holies, if you know anything about the Old Testament. And the other thing is, I didn't go to the tour of duty because I don't want to do and see anything that resembles mat drills. <laughs> that is something I want to stay as far away from as I can because those things in my day were, were indescribable, undescribable, whatever appropriate word you want to use. All right, with that, we will uh, take a break. Earlier this segment, we discussed uh, what is a movement in favor of the players with the ACC saying, hey, let's just go ahead and let kids transfer without having to sit out a year. Well, another one, and this started in California, but it's been out there for a while, is name, image, likeness. Uh, We've talked about this previously on the show, and we'll tee that up again for you right after this on Front Row Knowles. Front Row Knowles is brought to you by the Osceola, dedicated to FSU sports and fan experiences. Sign up for a free trial at theosceola.com or call 833-FSU-NEWS. Back on Front Row Knowles, Tom and KJ with you. We're going to take you back to an interview we did late last fall, and it's topical Well, it's going to remain topical, but it's becoming more to the forefront right now, especially in Florida, as we're more than halfway through the legislative session. There's a bill on the House side, bill on the Senate side regarding name, image, likeness, which is student-athletes being able to be compensated for their name, image, and likeness. And, you know, on the surface it says, well, that's the right thing to do, but the devil is always in the details. And I don't know where Florida will land, but Florida has been on the track to say, hey, if we get this done, it could start July 1, which to me, I don't know that we'll get there because, again, there's there's too many parameters, I think, that wouldn't too much red tape to figure out. But it's coming. It is, and, and it's going to be interesting because I think sometimes in some of the situations, the dollar amounts are going to be significant. This is not the same as full cost of attendance where everybody will participate. This is where some of your stars might have the opportunity to uh, uh gain money, gain resources, earn income from who they are and what they are. Uh, and we've talked about it. You'll hear more about it from Mr. Feldman, uh, that, that there's some issues. He's very much in favor of it. Uh, and there are some of us that are continue to be very, very pessimistic and at least concerned about it. Uh, but it is something that is going to happen, and we're going to have to find a way to manage it. He said, Mr. Feldman, that's Gabe Feldman. He directs the Tulane Sports Law Program and is plugged in on sports legal issues. He was kind enough to join us. So this is really a 30,000-foot view of the name, image, likeness issue that's out there. Again, he joined us in October via the Earl Bacon Agency hotline, the Earl Bacon Agency, ensuring your future together. Uh, Professor Gabe Feldman from the Tulane Law School. He's the director of the Tulane Sports Law Program. Uh, I know him on Twitter as Sports Law Guy, which actually I was thinking about this, Gabe. I think I, I might have come across you on Twitter during Bounty Gate with the Saints, maybe. But uh, but anyway, I, you're a good follow, and I enjoy the expertise you bring. And thanks for spending a few minutes with us here today. Yeah, my pleasure. Happy to be on. You, a, a few years ago, uh, I guess in, in 2016, actually authored a, a white paper for the Knight Commission on NIL, and, and I know that's several pages long, but, but you more than anybody maybe have a grasp of this. So I, I hate to ask you to summarize 19 pages in, in, a, in a sentence or two, but, but can you, for, for the layman and for our listeners, just kind of broadly state what we're talking about here related to NIL and what California is doing moving forward or trying to move forward with? Sure, happy to do so. And, and as many people know, 
the NCAA has been sort of founded on the principle of amateurism for, for many, many, many years. And, and that principle means, among other things, that student athletes can't be paid for their athletic ability, which means both they can't be paid to play or be paid to come to an institution so that they will play, and they can't be paid for the use of their name, image, and likeness if that name, image, and likeness value derives from their athletic ability. And the NCAA has long argued that that's necessary for them to be different than pro sports and for them to be popular for fans to want to watch. Um, and so the argument I made in the Knight Commission paper and what California is arguing now is that those restrictions on name, image, and likeness aren't necessary, that you can still have college sports, you can still have amateurism while also letting these college athletes be paid for use of their name, image, and likeness in, for example, an endorsement deal, for signing an autograph, for making an appearance at a local car dealer, uh, whatever the case may be, as long as it's regulated. So, so my paper suggests, one, that the restrictions on NIL are unnecessary, and then, two, puts forth a framework that would allow the NCAA to have a market for NIL but regulate it and make sure it's not being abused. Gabe, Keith Jones here. A little bit of background. I played ball here at Florida State in the late 70s. I uh, grew up in a small town in central Florida. Would not have been able to attend college if I had not had a grant and aid. Uh, I was a three-year starter, played in back-to-back Orange Bowls. I had a great college career. I had no question that I was never going to play at the next level, but I was a pretty good college player. I graduated with no debt. I got my degree in four years, and I've had a very great career here in Tallahassee. I'm going to be the old school that you got to drag kicking and screaming across the table that this is a good idea. Um, I, I, I understand the concept. My, my issue, having been in the locker room, having broadcast Florida state games for 30 years and known the players, I just worry my fanny off about the quote unquote unintended consequences. And I know you addressed some of those and dispelled some of those, but I think that's a big hurdle that us older folk are going to have to get over regarding this topic. Yeah, and, and I hear that a lot, particularly from former players, whether they are football players or basketball players or, or even from the Olympic sport. Um, and, and I understand that, and I don't try to diminish the potential harm that might come from this. But for me, the question starts with, why are we depriving college athletes the rights that all other college students get? And the argument has been that we needed to maintain amateurism and needed to maintain the purity of, of college athletics. And I, I just not sure that's true. And I, and I get um, the idea that we don't want to destroy college sports and I love college sports and I've worked in college sports for a long time. And it's important to me as it is to, to most people out there who might be listening to this. And so my idea is how do we strengthen college sports while also providing more rights for college athletes? And might there be some unintended consequences that we have to worry about? Yes. But the question is whether those unintended consequences are so powerful that they justify denying college athletes of, of rights. And, and this, this plan would not deprive college athletes of, of scholarships. They would still get their grant aid. They would still get their cost of attendance. This would just allow some number of college athletes, we don't know how many, to be allowed to get paid for their name, image, and license. Um, and, and so I, my, I believe, again, if it's properly regulated, properly done, it can protect all the things that you love about college sports but also give some additional benefits to college athletes. So related to what you just said in terms of unintended consequences, and, and you said they could still have their grant and aids, uh, couldn't this open Pandora's box, though, if, if they're now being compensated, that now the IRS looks at uh, Pell Grants, for example, uh, you know, that, which are need-based, and, and a student quali- student athlete qualified, but now they've made $50,000 from a local car dealer, so now do they have to return their Pell Grant uh, you know, could their scholarship or grant and aid as a whole become taxable? That sort of question. So there are questions about what might become taxable, what might not become taxable. Uh, I, the, the, you might the, the same issues were raised when the NCAA loosened the restrictions on outside employment for college athletes. For a very long time, college athletes were not allowed to have outside employment during the year because everybody was afraid of the unintended consequences, and everybody was afraid that the car dealer, I won't use Tallahassee, we'll say Gainesville, the car dealer in Gainesville Good choice. was going to pay uh, the quarterback $50,000 for a made-up job. And so they put specific rules in place to govern what that employment would look like and how you can be paid and that you have to actually work at that place of employment. Um, and everything went on as normal. You know, not, nothing really changed. 
And, and I think the same could happen for name, image, and likeness. Again, if it's done in the right way, if it's regulated, and I don't think it has to affect the tax liability on the on the scholarship just because they are receiving outside income. Because remember, that my proposal would be that only third parties can pay the college athletes. This money wouldn't be coming from the school, so this wouldn't affect the the athletic budget. Otherwise, uh, except the extent that a booster or donor might give to the college athlete instead of the university. So in those limited cases, it might lead to less money coming to the athletic department. But otherwise, this is third-party money going to the college athletes, just like third-party money goes to lots of other students on campus and doesn't affect their their scholarship and their Pell Grant. So in, in a sense, what you're what you're saying is if you regulate it, it's much like legalized gambling. You know, gambling is going to exist regardless, but we've had Vegas, and so it is regulated. And so people that follow that are able to see when a line moves and, and can grow suspicious. That is that I don't want to misstate what you're saying, but that's part of your argument there. That's absolutely part of it. And it's, it's, that's in response to some of the arguments that this is going to lead to the top schools paying the best players. Um, this is going to lead to all sorts of corruption and abuse, and, and part of my argument as well, the top schools are paying more for facilities and coaches and administrators than the other schools, so that's already happening. And we know that lots of people, well, lots of people, some number of athletes are being paid under the table um, because when you have these type of restrictions, it pushes everything into a black market, just like with gambling. When gambling is illegal, it pushes everything into illegal gambling other than in Las Vegas. Um, and this will bring it out, and we'll be able to actually monitor, regulate it, and hopefully clean it up a little bit, make it more transparent, have all these deals have to run through the athletic department, have to run through the NCAA and a, and a third-party commission that would make sure that these are good-faith transactions to hopefully make this safer for the college athlete. Because right now, if a college athlete is getting money under the table from a booster or someone, there is obviously no way to protect the college athlete in that circumstance. And we've seen lots of cases over the years where the college athlete might be taken advantage of. Um, and so this will at least, I think, provide more protection and more benefits for the college athlete. Gabe, okay, within your, your studies and your research, uh, have you or anyone else done a study uh, about the athletes that do work and, and have jobs through that NCAA program? Because I just think it's such a small fraction. I don't know that we can even use that as a model or, or claim that as something that that we can say arguably works or doesn't work because so few take advantage of it. Do you, do you have any stats at all on that? Well, we don't. I don't have any specific numbers. The NCAA might have the specific numbers, but my, my point for raising that analogy is when that was proposed, people said this will be the death of college athletics because this will lead to a backdoor that boosters will be able to pay college athletes to uh, attract them to their institution. And it turned out, because college athletes don't have time during the year to have jobs most of the time, um, that this only affected a small number. And that may be the case for name, image, and likeness. We may only be talking about a handful or a couple of handful of the, of the top athletes in, the, in men's basketball and football. And if that's the case, then this is sort of much to do about nothing. That We're not really going to have to monitor all that much. Not much is going to change. If this affects a lot of athletes and a lot of different schools, then I, I, I still think that shows, well, why are we restricting their ability to make money? If this is the, maybe the only time for many athletes, and, and Keith, it sounds like you might have been one of those athletes where you're a star at Florida State and your name, image, and likeness was worth it the most while you were in college. But that's the only time you're not allowed to capitalize on it. Yeah, my face so was much more valuable thing. back then. I now have a face made for radio, Gabe. <laughs> <laughs> right. Well, sure. Well, now your voice is worth a lot more. But, <laughs> but back then, your your name and your image um, and your general likeness were worth were worth a lot to some, um, at least more than to the average Florida State or I should say someone who maybe doesn't live in Tallahassee who doesn't get to hear your voice all the time. Uh, so there's a question of why are we trying to stop it? And yes, I would agree with you. There aren't thousands of student athletes who are working during the year. Um, so we don't know what it would look like if there were more and more than doing it and how hard it would be to regulate that. But my general point is, again, just like with free agency in baseball and every other thing you can think of where the leagues understandably said, if we change the current system, this is going to get destroyed and everyone's going to be worse off. And in most cases, that didn't happen. We're talking with Gabe Feldman, who uh, directs the Tulane Sports Law Program, a legal expert talking about NIL. Well, you know, we won't know the unintended consequences until we get there. So just just for the sake of moving this along, California passed a law that 
takes effect in three years. Florida and several other states have proposed legislation right now. In the case of the state of Florida, I mean, if they pass this, the legislative session is January to March, and the governor would sign it plus or minus April 1, and then 90 days later, July 1, this could be law, and nobody would know how to police this or what to do. So I guess the bigger question here is, and I know the NCAA has a committee, it, it feels like it would behoove them to get out in front of this at some point and make a recommendation so that states would not be proposing separate legislation and we might have more of a common ground and a way to move forward on this. I agree. And as you mentioned, the NCAA has a working group that will be coming out with some recommendation. I don't know if it will be public or not at the end of this month is the plan. Um, And that's been put together and with a sense of urgency because of the pressure from first California and now these other states. And and I agree, it would make sense for them to change the rules so that the the states no longer need to do this or or no longer have a desire to do it. But there's a, a question of whether the NCAA will be willing to go that far on their own or whether they're going to have to be forced into doing it. The problem with the state legislation, as you mentioned, is no matter what you think of the NCAA, they need uniform rules. Even if not every school is created equally, and even if not every school will compete the same way on the field, we still want them operating, generally speaking, under the same rules. We want to have a level playing field, and then the best team will win, or the best recruiters or the best coaches. But if you have California allowing their athletes to get paid, or for name, image, and likeness, or Florida to allow theirs, that's clearly going to impact um, recruiting. That's clearly going to make it more attractive for certain athletes to go to those states. And if the NCAA wants uniform rules, they're going to have to drop down to the lowest common denominator. They're going to have to adopt Florida's law or California's law or whatever state comes up with a more lax rule. But what if the states have slightly different rules and how do you have uniformity? So the NCAA hopefully will come up with some change that satisfies the states. I don't know that that's going to happen. So the next step might be that they challenge these state laws in court and say that they're unconstitutional because they're interfering with the NCAA's ability to operate a interstate college sports association. And just like the NFL needs the same rules for all of its teams, college sports need the same rules for all of its teams. Uh, so we might have a, a big legal battle coming down soon. And for Gabe, for our listeners that don't haven't followed this, there, there's also movement in Washington. There, there may be a federal law of some type and nature that gets introduced and or gets voted on. Right. And ironically, it may turn out the NCAA wants the federal legislation because the federal legislation at least will be uniform across the country. And if the NCAA can convince Congress to give them a federal legislation that's that's more helpful to them and maybe a little more restrictive than what the states are passing, that may be what they need. And it's, again, it's not dissimilar. You brought up the legalized gambling uh, uh, earlier on where the, the pro leagues and the NCAA said, we can't have it legalized, we can't have it legalized. Then it got legalized on a state-by-state basis, and they said it can't be a state-by-state basis. We need to go to Congress to get some help. So we might see the NCAA actually try to lobby some of these um, federal legislators to say, look, if the states are going to try to do this, we're going to battle it in court. If we lose in court, we're going to need some help from Congress. We could talk for uh, much longer than we are about this, but that's a really good broad overview. I have have one last question that I'm thinking of, and and this is getting into the weeds of it, but – I'll just use so Cam Akers is a star running back at FSU right now. If he could, if he could monetize his NIL, can he do it in FSU gear? I mean, can he wear an FSU jersey? This is where you get into how are you splitting the dollars, or is it just Cam Akers, uh, you know, plain clothes, so to speak? Because that's another fight that this would go down to, I would think. Yeah, so there there are multiple ways to do it, and we could really just look at the pro leagues as the model where you can have an individual deal where a player reaches a deal with a third party, so whether it's an apparel company or, or whatever it might be, and they don't have the right to use the team logos or marks. They can't be in the jersey. That's why you see guys that are in Campbell Soup commercials just in their street clothes or in some generic sports clothes. Um, then there are some times where they actually do have a deal where you are wearing the player is wearing the jersey, and that's either because they partnered with the team or the league or because it's part of a group licensing deal where all the players pool their rights. So it's why we have the, the video games and trading cards. And we could have one or both of those at the college level. Uh, you, could, you can imagine where a conference says, all right, we're going to pool all of the rights of the college athletes, and that way we can do a deal where the athletes are wearing their jerseys um, or they're in trading cards or they're in video games, whatever it might be, and then the revenue gets divided equally among the players. 
which is how it really was done for a very long time at the pro level. And then if you're on the cover of the game, then that player might get more. Um, or you could say, you know what, that's taking it too far. We're not comfortable with that. We just want to allow athletes to do individual deals. In that case, if you do an individual deal, you don't get to wear the jersey. You don't get to wear the FSU jersey. Uh, you don't get to use their logos. You don't get to use the name. You're just you're capitalizing on the value of your name, image, and likeness, not the name, image, and likeness or, or marks of, of your institution. Again, thanks to Gabe. I don't know where we'll land. The NCAA was, quite frankly, laughed at nationally last week. Uh, the NCAA president was speaking at Congress. And, and just in general, I mean, you've seen Florida legislators have come out and said, well, I'm in favor of this because I hate the NCAA. So that's on the NCAA for not being very proactive over the years and kind of just digging their head in the sand. But now they're having to be. And my personal feeling is where this will land is that we will get there. I don't think it's going to be enacted this year. Uh, the NCA wants three years to come up with a plan, and, and, and ultimately federal legislation is probably where it needs to go, or at least uniformity, because I, I don't know how you can have a different set of rules for Florida and Georgia and Texas and where all the kids are coming from. In the reality, you can't, but I will tell you, it could, it could begin as soon as July 1st for certain states, and that would create total havoc. It's going to be before three years because it's too topical. So I'm going to go out on a limb here, Tom. And it's going to be sometime between July 1 of 2020 and, and the end of the year of 2023 and more of the former as opposed to the latter. And if it does get passed, whether Florida or another state, and there's nothing federal at that point, the NCAA is just going to have to file lawsuits. I mean, that's, that's where it's going to go to try and shut this down. So, I, you know, the questions you heard that we discussed there, but there's a lot of institutions need to know, okay, so now we have to staff up. How are we going to police this? How are we going to manage that? There's just a lot of details to work out. But we thought we'd revisit that interview because you're going to be reading more and more about name, image, and likeness in, in coming days and weeks. Okay, we'll take a break. Come back. One more segment to go. We'll uh, return the focus to Florida State Athletics right after this on Front Row Knowles. The last three days, and the rain was unstoppable. It was always cold, no sunshine. Front Row Knowles on 97.9 ESPN Radio is presented by Hobson Chevrolet of Cairo, Georgia. Get your best deal the Hobson way. Now, back to Tom and Keith. Back on Front Row Knowles, Tom and KJ with you. Again, uh, appreciate your patronage of our program we've had a good time had a good run and we should be back in the studio next week and we'll uh, get back to rolling the guests through as we always do uh, i want to talk basketball but before we do i'm going to cede the mic to uh, mr jones well just remind you that if you've got a do-it-yourself project that needs to be finished well go visit ron and his knowledgeable staff at cornerstone tool and fastener and get all your power tool needs taken care of two locations you know them 1110 stucky avenue and 3269 crawfordville highway you can reach them by phone at 580-1200 or online at triple wctf.nu and we always appreciate their patronage of us if that's the right way to say it tomato tomato patronage patronage here's the question all right florida state everybody that's wears garnet and gold is going to be uh there's going to be consensus that the leonard's team has certainly uh well exceeded expectations this year so we're beyond that point we've all started to dream and think hey the final four is in atlanta this year uh, you see that you're with the team you travel with the team you see all their games uh you know we've got the second half of february to go and then the acc tournament and florida state unless the wheels just come off is going to get a top four seed in the acc tournament which means a double buy they're going to get a top four seed nationally maybe it's a four maybe if they close strong it ends up being a two what do you like about this team at this point? What excites you the most and what dis or not disappoints, but what gives you pause or concern? The excitement is that anyone literally of seven or eight, maybe nine players can be your leading scorer and lead you to victory. It doesn't have to be one person or two people. Uh, we've seen times when, when Vassell's been out and, and hasn't scored. We've seen times he's been in and hasn't scored. We've seen time he goes off for 25 or 30. We've seen MJ Walker be cold. We've seen him be hot. We've seen Trent 
play good and sometimes great. Uh, that is what excites me about this team. You don't have to worry about one person, and, and then that particular night they don't bring their game, and therefore the team is going to lose. Somebody else can and will step up to support them. My biggest disappointment is that we haven't been able to find a way to utilize our seven-footers inside. Olenicek uh, with his experience, Kapovica uh, uh, with his inexperience. We, we just haven't found a way against the ACC to get 20 points and 10 rebounds out of the two of them combined, other than a couple of games in the non-conference schedule. If they could find a way to make that happen, or if they get a good draw and early on they go up against some teams that they've got the, the, the decided height advantage against, that to me is the one part that I would like to see get better so that they can score inside and score outside depending on what the defense gives them. Uh, and that's not disrespectful to Dominic or to, uh, to Balsha. You know, they're learning Leonard's system and they're learning to play ball. Uh, I'd like for that to be sped up a little bit and, and get to another level quicker than probably it's going to be. So I'll start with my likes and then my concerns. The, the likes are what you articulated. And if there was any question if Trent was still Trent, I mean, we've seen that the last few ball games. There's no question about that. Uh, Devin will come back, and Devin will be Devin. And MJ, even though he's not as consistent, you know, he's not guaranteed five, four or five three-pointers every game out, he's much closer to that now than he was previously. I mean, he had some bit, that was a gutty performance that he had against Syracuse with 12 stitches. For all the times that he's left games and come back, that was a legit 12 stitches came back and did it. But I like that Patrick Williams is starting to emerge more. And also Raekwon Evans. It, it makes you wonder as you look back at the season, had Raekwon not missed six weeks, he might have been getting you two three-pointers a game from the start of the season, which is what David Nichols got you last year and became more key. Um, and so your rotation might have been different along the way. And only now, I think, are you getting to the point where they're more comfortable playing Evans and moving, whether it's moving Forrest off the ball as they did to beat the, the zone against Syracuse or just giving them a blow. The other thing, the other kid that has come on is redshirt sophomore Wyatt Wilkes. Leonard will tell you privately that he's the best shooter on the team he has said publicly that before he leaves he'll be known as a great shooter because he's got this year and two more but he'll tell you privately right now he's the best shooter on that team and for him to come in and be able to hit some threes early on and consistently also uh, gives you another arrow in your quiver as it were I like this team probably the biggest thing from an overarching thing that you can't quantify this is a quality uh, type of statement these kids all get along they don't care who gets the glory they don't care who gets the minutes and they genuinely don't care uh, you know it, it, it is remarkable how well these 18 and there are 18 of them 10 or 12 of them play regularly but they're 18 they're 18 strong that's one of their their monikers they get along well we travel with them we see them we know and, and, and it's amazing the camaraderie and chemistry on this club okay here's my concern two things and it's uh, one of them's probably nitpicking. The first one is is more of a I wish he was still here. But there's been too many blowbys by the opposing team getting into the lane and getting some layups and easy looks at the basket. And every time I see it, I think, man, if Ike Obiagu had not transferred and was still that guy, even if he fouled out in 15 minutes like he did when he was here two years, you'd take that 15 minutes and put him in the middle right now because those guys would not be blowing by and getting those kind of looks. But that is what it is, but it, that does need to tighten up. Uh, but the other thing, and I think this is a product of youth, it's a product of Trent Forrest being the only senior that's been here, aside from Alinichuk coming in, and it's the step on your throat, I'm just going to drill you while you're down. We've got Syracuse by 11. We're going to run you out of the gym right now. Miami's in town. We know we're better than you. We're not really going to let you hang around for a half. We're going to finish you in 10 minutes. And I think that's more just the difference between six seniors last year and really one and a half this year. And I'm trying to be fair to Dominic. He just hasn't been here the way a man and the other guys have been. Would you agree? I, I would agree. Uh, and, and I think that is a mentality that, again, I think you've hit it right on the head, is a product of maturity. And a lot of these kids are still trying to learn the system. They're trying to learn to play. You know, for these young kids, you know, they played 20, 25 games in high school over a three-month period. Now they're going to play 35 games over a four, four-and-a-half-month period. We've now hit this part where, where they're playing in, a, in a, an effort and an arena uh, in terms of games that they've never seen before. So fatigue, both mental and physical, uh, all of that 
plays into it. But, yes, I think that is a trait we would love to see, uh, and, and maybe we will. Maybe Trent can will that enough uh, that other people will pick up on it. We'll just have to wait and see. That said, when they get dialed in and completely locked in, like the end of the Syracuse game, I mean, they're, they're pretty doggone good, and they've won most of these games like that. So uh, it's not a huge concern. It's just something you'd like to see. But, that, again, that's that's the, the nitpicky one. All in all, it's been an enjoyable uh, men's basketball season, really for both teams. On the women's side, real quick, because I've got their game tomorrow night, uh, you know, the women are in a precarious position now. They dropped a tough game to Duke on Sunday. They lost by two. And so there's really five teams fighting for the top four seeds in the ACC, and, and FSU right now is in that 4-5 battle. You want to get the, the double bye. Uh, on the women's side, you also, if you're in the top 16 in the country, have a chance to host the first and second round. So they really need to finish strong, which is – uh, you know, win out or win at least three of four and win one or two at the tournament and, and hope that you're in the top 16. Um, because when they're playing well, they're a team that can get to the Elite Eight and maybe have a chance. But as the season has gone on, they haven't taken the step forward that I was hoping they, they would. And I think it's because their post play just hasn't quite developed the way that, that they'd like to see it. But bottom line, it's another 20-win season for Sue and another great job. Well, and I'd also submit to you that it's in their hands. They can control it. They don't need anybody to help them. They just need to go out and win ball games. If they do that, then they'll get the double by if they win a game or two in the tournament they'll get in the top 16 where they can host so it's it's all within uh, their hands and they can control their own destiny they don't have to rely on anybody else to help them a couple other things just as we uh, wrap up and then i'll uh, finish up baseball uh, of course is back at it this week they've got uh, cincinnati coming up this weekend uh, you'll be at uh, NC State this weekend with men's basketball. Softball, you know, they, they had a great first weekend, took some growing pains last week. Basically, Lonnie turned over half her roster, so she's got a young team. Uh, the promising thing there is they did have leads late in three of those four losses last weekend, so good luck to them. Women's tennis is the highest ranked uh, it's ever been in school history at uh, number four in the nation. Beach volleyball starts this weekend in Tallahassee. Men's golf is home playing at Golden Eagle, and swimming and diving is at the ACC championships, and that's all I've got time for. Well, the one thing I would add is the tournament in Clearwater that the softball team hosts has become a, a must-see TV and, and I think you're just going to see that grow and grow and grow. ESPN televising all of it, and it's amazing what those ladies are able to do. Softball is a big part of the ACC network, no question. I mean, the, the ESPN is broadcasting it all over. All right, we're out of time. We've overstayed our welcome. Thanks for tuning in. As always, he's Keith. I'm Tom. We'll talk to you next week here on Front Row Knowles. We don't need no thoughts control.